Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt free. Hello, Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort so you sleep better together. JD Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition Smart Bed for a limited time. For JD Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com/awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. Part two of our lovely chat with Andy Butler from Hercules and Love Affair. One of my favourite chats so far, also possibly because it's face to face. I just love being with wise, beautiful people, and Andy is one of those. If you haven't listened to part one yet, go back to the feed, do that first. Anyway, here you go. Here's part two. You started DJing in like leather bars when you were 15 to get away from home, right? Yeah. What What were you escaping? I guess what I was escaping was um, I, on some level, I was identified very, very young uh, as, a, as a young person in my home as uh, something was wrong, right? right? So they knew the language to use. I didn't, of course. Mm-hmm. But my siblings also, some of the older ones knew the language. And the language being queer. Yeah. Yeah. So um, they, there was an active attempt for a long, sustained period to change that. Right. Um, and so that involved like just a lot of painful things that I couldn't comprehend. And uh, I was like, for instance, very, very masculinized or attempt, they attempted to. So... I was put in combat sports as a very young child. I um, I had to play a sport every season. Wow. Uh, so, I mean, I wrestled, I swam, did swim team, I played basketball, I played baseball, I played American football, I played rugby, I took tennis lessons. I had to, like, I, every sport, every, I had to. And so there was, I think, a sense that, like, this is going to get maybe the gay out yeah, of him or yeah. something, you know? <laughs> and, uh, what ended up happening actually was that um, I just resisted it, you know? So as a very, very young child, when they first started, for instance, putting me in wrestling, which is, uh, you know, I didn't understand what was happening. I'm seven years old. I'm big for my age. And I'm wrestling 11 and 12 year olds whose motor skills are a lot more developed. And they would just beat me up, you know? And um, I started to experience panic attacks at a very young age, like six, seven years like like hours before i would have to have a match i would wake up like at five in the morning and start crying and ha- hyperventilating and stuff mm. and they i had to do it you know it was like i had to do it so th- even the coach of the wrestling team at one point took my mother aside and said i can't make your son wrestle he he doesn't like to do this and my mother said unfortunately he has to um so it was stuff like this you know where it was just so um I, I wasn't really being honored for 
who I was. You know what I mean? Like what I actually loved doing was going around the house and collecting different colored tissue papers Mm -hmm. and then um, making dresses out of them and bringing them to my mother as gifts, you know, like, like that was the child I was like a creative kid. The one that wanted to sit at the piano and just like write songs and like, and all that stuff. And uh, it just, I didn't end up really in a household that, understood that my dad understood Mm. sports and his thing and you know which he was also really good at and some of my brothers were really good at you know Mm. um so at 12 13 um i would say i started finding myself in situations i was hypersexualized as a child so so i definitely had older men involved in my life as a young young child and stuff so so uh I started to realize that I knew I was gay. Something I I was gay. So I would take the bus downtown to go to this gay and lesbian youth group. Right. And okay. Amazing. That just sit there. around with like six or seven kids who didn't, you know, either have a home or, mm-hmm. you know, uh, or were struggling at home. And mm-hmm. so on Sundays we would like, we would. Just, so I would tell my parents I was going somewhere, and I would take the bus downtown. You know. Right. Yeah. And um. I met some amazing kids there, you know. I met a 16-year-old boy who was HIV positive. Mm-hmm. And this is in 1992, 93. Wow. Mm. And uh, here I am at an all-boys high school having to play football. Mm. I'll backtrack a little. Um, I went to Europe. My parents, you know, again, in retrospect, so much to be grateful for. I love that my father wanted me to, to have a a real understanding of my body. My father put me in all those sports and like, I appreciate sports, like my physical, like I understand the importance of it. Mm-hmm. Like I, I'm very active physically. Like mm-hmm. I'm very grateful that I know my body. Yeah. And so there's like a double edged sword to that, you know, yeah. like, um, but it was, I couldn't see that then. Um, but at 15, you know, they also encouraged some, some culture. They saw that I could play the piano. Mm-hmm. They wanted me to play the piano. Mm-hmm. So they, they got me piano lessons. They, nice. they started to notice that I would write songs. And so they found a teacher who taught me how to write songs. Wow. So they did do the, you know, there was encouragement mm-hmm. in that regard. But at 15, I went to Europe, uh, on a family trip with friends. Mm-hmm. My mom and dad let me go with a yeah. family and it was a very progressive family. Right. Uh, with, uh, there was a Jewish mother, an adopted Guatemalan son who was my troublemaking best friend in school. Oh, great. So we spent a, a month going around Europe and it was primarily with the intention, I think, of us, well, learning history. We visited a lot of concentration camps. Wow. Um, we learned about the war. We, we stayed with families who experienced, like, we literally would spend three days with a family in Poland that would tell us about what happened when the USSR dissolved. And, Mm -hmm. and so it was very informative, but there was one night in Amsterdam where I started to notice a lot of like these handsome men, um, walking around and stuff. (laughs) And, um, I guess I picked up a magazine. I saw that there was a club called it club. It, I decided that night I was going to sneak out of the hotel mm-hmm. and find out where this club it was. Wow. Had you told your friend as well? No. Oh. He was asleep in the same room and I left the room. I went out onto the street and I found the first guy wearing leather chaps, like a leather jacket and stuff. 
And I went up to him and I said, and here I am like in baggy clothes, like American kid. And I, I go up to him and I'm like, excuse me, sir, do you know where Club It is? Mm-hmm. And he said, oh, I'm walking there right now. You can walk with me. Oh, wow. So we walked for 10 minutes. I had this really sweet conversation with him. I got to the club. I reached in my pocket and I said, oh, I don't, don't have any money. Mm. And he gave me money and he, he gave me a little money. He, he patted me on the butt and he said, go have fun. <laughs> and I um, realized I'm going to come out. Right. So I wrote a letter to the woman, to the girl I was dating in Denver. Okay. And that's how I kind of came out of the closet. Right. So I went back to the United States. But hang on, you've got to tell me what happened in the club. This is the best part, actually. <laughs> I didn't go to the club because oh. that guy was so sweet oh. that I just wanted to talk to him more. Oh, okay. And a block, like walking, we had, we had started, parted ways. And I stopped and I turned around and I said, I don't want to go to the club. I want to talk to that guy again. Oh. So I just chased, ran around the streets of Amsterdam looking for this man. Really? And I never found him. Wow. But for the rest of the trip, I just kept trying to remember his eyes. Mm-hmm. Because they were like the first sweet, loving, accepting eyes I feel like I, oh. I saw, you know, like it was like a moment for me. Yeah. And uh, so I went back to America and I arrived off the plane with a shirt that says, no one knows I'm gay. Really? Yeah. Did you buy it? <laughs> wow. And uh, <laughs> I also had a little bit of long hair. So I decided just to make my parents really happy, I was going to gnat my hair into dreadlocks <laughs> on the plane ride back. So I got off the plane and everyone's there to greet me. And my sister says, oh my, how funny. Look, his shirt says, no one knows I'm gay. And they all went, ha, 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 ha. <laughs> And um, I I basically just came out. I mean, I guess uh, they started to find gay paraphernalia, like mm-hmm. like magazines. And my my parents were not happy. They said, you know, they basically said, we found this in your room. Keep it to yourself. It's your choice, whatever. Mm-hmm. And I went to my all boys high school, uh, still playing American football wow. out on the team. Wow. None of the boys would change in the locker room with me. Oh, my God. For a science project that year, I decided that the best thing I could do was ask my friend, my friend, 16-year-old friend who was HIV positive mm-hmm. from the, the support group to come and talk at a Catholic boys' high school about HIV and what it means and prevention and to educate it. And my teacher was furious with me. Yeah. Like that was what I, so I came out at like 15 and I was like, you know what? I'm going, this is it. Yeah. Yeah. I'm not hiding anymore. You know? So yes, I did start DJing in leather bars (laughs) as a 15 year old, um, in a very full on kind of way. Yeah. And in, in Denver, Colorado, was that, was there a scene? I mean, yeah, there was definitely a scene. There was a, a vibrant, a very vi- vibrant dance music scene. And uh, I would say that the queer folk in some ways were at the forefront of it, you know, like they were the tastemakers. Mm. Um, so I was around some of the best DJs, you know, I learned mm. a lot of my chops. I stole a lot of their tracks. Um, <laughs> but yeah, they got me a gig. I was 15 years old and they, uh, they said, you know, if you want to play, you can go down, we can get you to gig down at the detour. You'd open the night 
but uh, it'd be a chance. And so I did, and it was probably the most horrendous DJ. I I, I know it was a horrendous DJ set. <laughs> um, but I played Situation by Azu, which I oh, still wow. which I still play to this day. Love that. You know? Yeah. And then the police came oh. uh, a half hour after I finished, mm-hmm. and they had to hide me in the bathroom. <laughs> and there was a the door girl, Chocolate Thunder Pussy. <laughs> Her name is Samantha. I still right. talk. We still talk. Oh, that's so She's nice. awesome. Yeah. So she just kept me in the, the bathroom. And she was like, you have to stay here until it's safe, you know. Eventually it was safe, but I left really shortly after that. So I just started DJing then. Yeah. I love that. Do you know, can I read you an email that we got? It was, it was, um, fate that this, just this morning I got an email from someone called Derek Rhodes from Denver, Colorado oh. saying, Dear Mr. Sweeney, I found Homo sapiens during lockdown one in beautiful Denver, Colorado, and I found myself looking forward to the comfort and community of each weekly episode. Long have I imagined myself writing in to thank you for the way you hold a space for the community thank you and today i listened in delight to your conversation with susie ruffle oh so basically in this conversation we were talking about the fact that there were no how many gay men do you know who love rock music that's Mm. what we were were sort of conversation went in that direction um uh, today I listened in delight with your conversation with Susie Ruffle. I would like to proudly introduce myself as a gay man whose favourite band is The Strokes. I am once again reminded of the impact that comes from being seen and I felt compelled to say thank you. I will look forward to each week as you continue and thank you for giving me a rock and roll gay, a feeling of being seen on on your important tether to the community at large. Respectfully yours, Derek Rhodes. Do you know Derek? I don't know Derek, but oh, I'd well, love to know Derek. We'd love to know you, Derek. And absolutely. I think that's a beautiful email. Very and you know sweet. what? That's another, just to, not to plug my record again, but <laughs> that's a, another really beautiful, um, that's another, some something I wanted to explore on this record. Like, yeah. there's a rock element to this record. There's mm. a punk element to this mm. record. There is a, an extreme, almost heavy heaviness to the record. And, when I first made the, when I made that first Hercules record, it was kind of, I'd spent years loving disco coming from house music, mm. but disco was kind of considered this music that was a sort of, I don't know, illegitimate throw, throw away wedding music, like whatever, you know? Mm. And it was a kind of a little bit of a mission f- to me because I, I heard so much wonderful musicality and I like, I fell in love with disco. And I thought, no, this music needs to be put forward and championed. Like, in like people need to respect this music. Like, these are amazing string arrangements. These are vocals that are unparalleled. Mm. And with this record, I started to have the same feeling about like punk and metal and rock. And like Mm -hmm. this, this notion that like, well, in some ways it's, I, there's definitely an, an indie rock community you know there is a a thing it's still a thing but rock music is kind of on on the way out or what if you if you will or whatever Mm. dance music electronic music is really you know much more al courant or something but i thought to myself you know i I need to put forward something else that champions this other thing because my first feelings of uh feeling i don't know understood came from outsider music Mm-hmm. that existed in the realms of punk industrial metal stuff yeah. like this mm. and so i want to say out loud queer kids you have a place in those spaces yes. you have a place in punk rock mm-hmm. queer kids have a place in heavy metal queer kids have a place in indie rock like those spaces we belong there, there too yeah. and you know uh 
a lot of that music is about rallying against conformity and making political change and yeah because we were talking to beth ditto on here and she was talking about how it was punk that that's how she first discovered her queerness because there were like punk um uh zines they used to share with each other like a physical copy that someone would make and it would be passed around people and that's how i think that's why she ended up moving to new york and all of that all because of punk oh my god i mean when you first saw like i don't know any number of the one of of the beautiful london creatures that emerged in Mm. the late 70s i mean Mm. even proto when you start to think of bowie or you think of you know, you start to, you see Bauhaus, you see the, the, these goth kids that are putting on makeup and you start to see, you see, the queerness is visible. Like yes. this is sometimes for people, the first time that they see their queerness is actually mm-hmm. in these darker, like subculture. And it was the same for me, you know, yeah. like I got this thing where it was like, oh, this, this is where the outsiders and this is where, I mean, if I want to put on makeup, I can go and put on makeup here. Yeah. You know what I mean? Um and not in the same, like, the way that those, hor- well, not all horrible, but those American heavy metal bands with the, the makeup and stuff, but like yeah. a New York dollsy, punky kind of yeah. glammy way, you know? Yeah. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Because I was talking about this with drag the other day and how subversive drag is, but yet it seems to get a free pass into the mainstream. And actually, there's something about glitter that links disco, drag and glam rock and Bowie with makeup. Put some glitter on it and people don't question it. (laughs) They don't say it's subversive. They go, oh, that that looks lovely. Looks like Saturday night to me. (laughs) Oh my God, completely. It's funny that way. Isn't that weird? It is, it is. But I mean... I think it's it's a it's a it's a strange thing. Drag the the world of drag it truly does come as it's a very subversive mm. origin, huh? The yeah. origin is very subversive. It's so embedded into popular culture now, mm. at least in Amer- especially American like popular culture. Yeah. But and I know that the scene is just blossoming all over. It's blooming here. There's a very fun, vibrant, uh, yeah. there's amazing things happening. But, you know, yeah, Bianca Del Rio sells out Wembley Stadium like for, four times. Wow. Okay, that might be wrong. Fact checker, oh, well. please. But no, I know <laughs> like 
like massive audiences you know um so definitely throw a little glitter on it and you got you 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 can say whatever you want yeah (laughs) it's it's true was there um was there any influence on this album of and i could be wrong so feel free to correct me but uh sophie you know the trans artist who very sadly died was there any influence of her music i think her pronoun was her yeah like it's interesting. I um I didn't know Sophie. I was familiar with Sophie's work. If there was an influence or if there was a what I what I'll say is that I really started to appreciate that a younger generation started to explore sounds that were disruptive and abstract. And you could hear it in the work of Arca or you could hear it in Sophie or some of these, you know, there were, there were, there were younger kids that were sort of like, yeah, starting to create these different atmospheres. Mm. So I definitely appreciated it. Mm. But, uh, for me, I think being the age I am, I was looking at the bands that I started to pay attention to as a kid, which were more like, you know, the sort of throbbing gristle, like the original right. industrial soundscape artists and things like this, you yes. know, yeah. which were also incredibly queer, you know, like, yeah. like for instance, Genesis and that whole like a uh, sex positive and all of this stuff. So, um, but in terms of Sophie, uh, also technically, and it was astounding. Mm-hmm. It made an, it, an indelible mark in music, I think in the journey of pop music. Yeah. So, but hyper pop is something that I've never fully been able to get into. As a listener or a creator? As a listener. Right. And yeah. as a creator, I would say. Mm. There's a certain thing with slickness and overproduction, which is just mm-hmm. not so much for me. I tend to like something that feels a little more raw, accessible, and a little bit more human. Do you like being a provocateur sometimes about pop? And because I know you said things about Gaga and being. <laughs> oh, gosh. <laughs> See, the thing that's really difficult is when those kinds of comments, when those were made. Let's see. The Madonna quote, completely taken out of context. Right. Thank you, Out Magazine. Um, <laughs> so they said you told her to make an age-appropriate age appropriate, album. Yeah, it? love it. Age-appropriate album. Never said it. anything to that effect. I said, the first quote was, I am known to play sometimes three Madonna songs in one set. I love the Shep Pettibone remix of Express Yourself. I love, you know what I mean? I was giving her major props. And then all I was saying was, I think if she did something elegant, like a certain, at that moment, there was this idea, like in my mind, like if she were to do something like a Deep House record Mm. at that time, what Deep House was, which is not 2009, 2010, this was said, Mm. I think it would be a really beautiful return to form. Mm. And, and would, would it be age appropriate? I think it would just, it would, it would speak to an era of her career, Mm -hmm. which was really refined and elegant. Mm -hmm. And, you know, like that, uh, for me, it's pre ray of light, Mm -hmm. like that, like that erotica, that kind of yeah. that moment, if she had gone in the deeper and deeper, you know, that kind of wow, a thing, yeah. if she had done something like that for me, mm. but I, you know, I respect and love Madonna for the fact that she is a shapeshifter. And I am also on some level very much interested in 
I want to change the theme. I, as an artist, I need to do something different. Mm-hmm. And I feel like Madonna has something in this. In there's something like that inside of her where she, yeah. I, I need to. It's a new theme. It's a new look. It's a new everything. And yeah. she, yeah. And also, we all want Madonna to. We all want Madonna to go a certain way because we're invested. You know what I mean? Yeah. We've all got the version of what we want to. The Gaga thing, though, I just will say this. You have to say what you said, just say that, or what you were misquoted to say. Oh, my thing with pop hyper pop and pop songwriting in general is you can feel like I love a hook, you know, but I would say I love a melody over a hook. Mm-hmm. So, uh, the, this, this, the sort of distinguishing thing for me is that like a hook might be two or three notes, like, and everyone hears, and that's the hook and they get it. That was a really, that was a really bad hook, by the way. The hook on Crazy in Love is always a really good example. Yeah. Opens that song. Yeah. Yeah. But, and that sample is an amazing. Yeah. Yeah. So, but, um, a melody is, a bit more of like an evolved hook or something, you know what I mean? And so, because yeah, I never fully understand what a melody is, and so, so many people have explained it to me. I guess it, it's like a, a leading line that sort of sits atop the harmonic structure of the song. So, like, um, you know, operas often have these tremendous melodies that right. are, you know, but and it doesn't need. I don't love overcomplicated melodies either. Like, there's something a fine line between a great hook and something that's melodically interesting. And there was just a uh, with Gaga. There's a, a Hollywood pop type of approach, especially at that moment, mm. which was just so hook focused. It was just like give them one word broken into three syllables that they can repeat over and over and over, yeah. and it'll be a hit. And like that also didn't you know look she considered a piano and sing the shit out of a song Mm -hmm. like i have tremendous respect for her as an artist as a a talent it's just like she's a part of that pop game Mm -hmm. which like it was funny the other day someone said to me like what kind of music do you make i was like well it's kind of pop but not really he's like oh it's pop adjacent Mm -hmm. and i said yeah, that's what it is. I'm going to start using that. That's what I'm going to start. I'm stealing that. So, Pop Jason, because only because if people are going to be like, but what did you say? So you said that Gaga was music for 11 year olds being danced around to by 30 middle aged men. Oh my gosh! Yes, that? I did say yeah. that. Yeah, um, which is kind of sweet. But also, I think it's tricky, isn't it? Because Gaga means a lot for people, you know. But also, I'm gleaning sort of what you're talking about is that. Music is a business, and within business, there can sometimes be disdain for the consumer. Like oh, they're yeah. so stupid, give them this, and they'll buy it. Yeah. And actually, and not, I'm not saying that is Gaga, but sometimes that is where the conversation can go in music. And as an artist yourself, being like, "Hang on a second, that's yeah. not why I got out of bed this morning." <laughs> yeah, no, <laughs> you know? no, exactly. And that's why sometimes I just feel like I actually there are two industries, and I exist in yeah. one, and there's another one that's alongside of it. There's one industry that has a team of eleven people who get together who to write a song. It takes eleven of them to write a hit that gets 200 million views on mm-hmm. YouTube. And then there's this like other industry where it's like someone starts with a guitar and a voice and they just write a song. Like, mm-hmm. so I feel like this industry, which has like, we have teams of writers mm-hmm. and we're gonna craft the, with the intention of commercial success, yes. this thing, mm-hmm. that is one industry. Yeah. And I feel 
like what I do with my work is not at all that, you know, sometimes I write with a collaborative uh, collaborator mm. and we do a song together, but yeah. that's it. You know what I mean? Yeah, yeah. Um, and it's not to say that I would never sit on a writing team mm. or go to Hollywood and help write a big pop song. Yeah. Uh, I don't know if they'd want my input yeah. necessarily. Well, they'd be lucky to have Oh, it. but yeah. <laughs> I just sometimes I feel like I, I exist in a different industry. Yes, and I think the, the that's all fine, isn't it? It's just when it's the assumption that you would, if someone's coming from the angle of like, well, you would want to do the other version, you know, like the assumption that you should want to be creating this 200 million stream banger with a one word broken into three syllables. Yeah. It's like, well, hang on a sec, that's not why I'm here. Mike's sort of parallel to that is like directing and in television, for example, there are so many thrillers that start with a dead woman's body and a mystery as to how she was killed. Yeah. Like, and like, it's always the same. And it's somewhere on a coastal, somewhere on a coastal town. town. Oh my God. And, and you're like, but and, Broadchurch was good. Yeah. <laughs> exactly. There you go. And, you know, and people fucking love it. And I'm like, can somebody think of something else? Because I don't want to do this, but that's okay. That whoever wants to knock yourself Absolutely. out. And that's but. what we were talking about earlier too. Like this record is heavy. If you listen to my new album, be prepared for a very inter- intense emotional journey. Be prepared to be a little bit maybe off put or maybe a little bit brought to tears, maybe angry, maybe disturbed. I don't know. But one thing that I'm really trying to em- embrace and get into is in life, in general, there's like a equanimity in all experiences. Like the judgment around it all is, I mean, w- without getting too problematic, because it, it's going to be a really big conversation. Mm. There's nothing wrong with that happening mm. the same way. There's nothing wrong with what's happening with what I'm doing. All of this expression, all of what's happening in this life, in this that's manifesting. It's like. It's all good. You know? Yeah, I remember Paul, I think it was Christine Vachon, film producer, who made Paul Thomas Anderson's films. I think this is who said it. Paul Thomas Anderson said, even if you hated a film, it should be celebrated because what you want is a world where people are allowed to make everything and therefore that works for everybody. Even if it's not your thing, celebrate it because the more yeses is, is the yes for everybody type thing yeah and it's the same in music right and how thank i'm like how great there's so many different opinions mm. i mean a, a troll that says like something mean that's a little different than an opinion i don't think yeah. we need as many of those but thank gosh look i i thank gosh <laughs> i got i got i got really clean with that one um thank gosh there's so many different opinions in this world because yeah. it would just be such a boring world if we all had the same opinion totally totally you know? yeah tell me what's next for you today and in life today i hope i see at least one or two of my dearest friends here in london lovely sleep lovely and tomorrow i might try to take a boxing lesson oh nice which is in bethnal green yeah do you know i used to live around the corner so there's that boxing place yeah. right around the corner yeah yeah ko ko combat academy yeah so just to maybe I'll give you a little bit more yeah all that stuff i dealt with as a kid with martial arts hyperventilation and everything yeah. and I, I for the past three years i've gone back into it all as an adult wow. and i've done it through the help of female fighters mm-hmm. who i find really inspiring because as children they wanted to wrestle and they wanted to do that stuff and their families 
were discouraging them, but they excelled at it. And now I'm friends with all of these like professional female fighters. And like, I've re-entered as an adult into this world, like of the martial arts thing. And I experienced so much respect from them and uh, from, from all of the gyms I go to, I take it pretty seriously. And, uh, and it's almost like there's, it's like a full circle thing where I feel like there's some redemptive thing, like beautiful thing that, took place revisit it on your own terms on my own terms that's incredible and it's really been rewarding so i my boxing gloves are with me and uh and i have a lot of uh, great teachers who i work with and stuff so it's like life making sense yeah wonderful yeah well enjoy thank you beating the shit out of whoever the lucky oh it's just a bag i can't i can't punch (laughs) i don't want to punch anyone in the face I feel like I'm walking on air when I talk to lovely people like that and the amount of self-knowledge that man has about intimacy and the functions of what things in his past have done to him and he really opened up which is really kind of him because I think for me it comes from a place of understanding the more we talk about stuff the more it makes it better for everybody Um, and we are you know the queer experience means strange shit happens to you and it's not just the queer experience of course but you know that's what we're talking about here and I really appreciate him taking the time to chat to us. So thank you, Andy. And thank you all for listening. What a beautiful, beautiful person. Now, write to us. Tell us what you thought. Hello at home. Oh, I just put my phone down on my chest. That burnt me. Uh, Hello at homosapienspodcast.com. At homosapiens on Instagram. At homosapienspodcast on Facebook. Have you got any agony uncle questions? Please write them in doesn't have to be serious and it will remain confidential next week we've got another musical superstar my old mate jesse ware is coming on the podcast and it's such a lovely chat another face-to-facer as they call them um i love jesse we've known each other since we were kids coincidentally then both ended up podcasting only one of us having a pop career um at time of print i would be a bit more banana rama i'm thinking like velcro skirts i tear off uh, we talk about all sorts, loads of goss on the new album, loads of goss on Kylie Minogue. There's a strange link to Madonna as well. Um, all very interesting, actually. I love Jessie. She's a great laugh. I'm drinking a pint of milk throughout the entire interview, which we get into why on earth she's doing that. Uh, but she's a lovely, kind, warm, funny person. And her music is amazing. So I feel very proud of my friend because all we did was doss around as eight-year-olds. And we go into all of that. Um, okay. All the love to you listeners. Thank you so much for listening. See you next week. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free. Hello, fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. Powered by Spirit Studios.